We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We are very excited and honestly very thankful for this segment as we try to navigate and figure out how baseball got here, what's next as we're officially in the lockout. So I think we can say on the line is a friend of the show officially Maury Brown, senior contributor from Forbes, a member of the BBWAA, joins us for his 600th interview this week. Insider calls are brought to you by driveway.com. Looking for a car? Go to driveway.com where you can get pre-qualified, buy a car, and get it delivered. 600th, but certainly the best, at least through today. Mari Brown, owner of one of the most highly regarded last names there is in existence. Let's start with a whammy, shall we? Please give me some hope in the game of baseball. Is there any positive news at this current moment in time? Well, first of all, I'm friends of the show. Absolutely, you can say that. So um, is there hope? Well, hope is a dangerous thing, as they said in the Shawshank Redemption, right? Great film. um, I would say that, you know, the sides have to talk. They really do. Um, Just because you say, all right, we're going to go ahead and, cancel games and let's just go into our corners by law they have to discuss things um i think that the sides continue to be you know far apart there really is some distance um certainly on the player side they're they're still looking for quite a bit so um i'll only say this if if the players had accepted what was deemed to be the owner's last best offer before canceling games, it would have been a very bad deal for the players, and that's how they're viewing it. So there's still a ways to go. I, I, I certainly don't see this being resolved next week, uh, maybe not even two weeks. End of April? Maybe. End of April. What? Great news that indeed is. I was making my way through a thread on your Twitter that you actually have pinned from earlier today. And obviously you said up to the minute there's news filtering out. And so some things have gone by the wayside. But if you're not following Mari already, it's at Bizball Mari. And you were literally going through the baseball calculus on how owners look at the money versus the players and the association. And as you mentioned, there's such a deep canyon between these two sides. But can you walk us through that headspace and exactly how wide we got here, at least the reasons why? Because it's really about the vision and the vantage point in which these two sides sit. Well, I mean, the owners, the owners would like nothing more than to, you know, continue to get a leg up on the players. And the players have made it very clear um, that they do not, um, they will not, they will not go walk away with this without a, a significant, you know, concessions from the owners to try and get a more equitable deal. Um, owner revenues have continued to decline. Um, player salaries have flattened. 
the career length of players have shortened. Um, the gaps are largely this. The, um, the big ticket item is the luxury tax, the competitive balance tax, or you'll hear CBT said. Um, the offer that was made was, was almost a slap in the face to the players. It was nothing that would really allow um, any growth in that, in that space. Um, it's quite possible that that was done actually <clears throat> as a means to try and slow the Dodgers and the Mets, Steve Cohen and the Mets, down and make the penalties if they go over the luxury tax um, be more painful. But be that as it may, the players don't want to see that. There's still gaps in in trying to see an increase in the minimum salary. They still want to see a uh, growth in the pool, uh, the pre-salary arbitration player pool. Right now, players that perform really well are in line for awards like the Rookie of the Year or Cy Young or MVP would be um, given bonuses basically out of that. They want to see more around that. There's an international draft. So there's a number of items. We're still we're still a ways off from those things. But those are the big ticket items right now that need to be dealt with. They're, you know, the particulars and the numbers around it, and they're going to shift. Nothing has been agreed to. Right now, as of basically literally minutes before um, you and I started talking, um, there was discussion that the players would accept going to 14 teams in expanded playoffs. The word was, of course, 12. There was a discussion with the players already on this topic. They were okay with that. They didn't like the format. And so the format has to be addressed. The owners had rejected the format that the players wanted. Um, and so that is a possibility in that. But look, if that's not going to be enough to get what the players all really want. They want more than what they would get out of going, all right, we'll get two more teams in. Is there any um, validity to – I've seen some points that, like, the owners haven't even brought up that there might be deals on the table for Peacock and Apple and streaming and that there's business that they're going to handle, but they want to take care of this so that the players don't get any piece of that pie and that for the next time they talk, after this gets figured out, that then they can discuss that and they could take advantage of that signing it without having to discuss this right now. Well, there's always that. I mean, this is what happens when you have a system, and players want the system. It's a quote-unquote free market system when it really isn't, right? I mean, we've got a cap. It's acting as a cap, but we don't call it a cap. Um, but they don't want a system in which industry revenues go are tied directly to um, the amount of money that flows to the players. They see those systems as having other functions in them that basically lock players in and are very much dead set against it. Um, I think that they haven't announced those things or they're really going to cut the, the particulars, whether it's Apple or Peacock, uh, uh, are right either on the edge of it or they're willfully holding it back because it would absolutely play into the discussions. But it's out there. It's absolutely out there. The, the, this is a thing that I think largely does not get discussed enough. Every five years, for however long these labor agreements are, the, this one's going to be five. The last one was five. It is the only time that the players can go ahead and get bumps anywhere along the line to make it more equitable. Owners can go 24-7, 365 on business deals. Nothing prevents them from getting into new business relationships and finding new revenue streams. So this is 
time. This is why the players go, we are going to stick it out on this one because they don't get another opportunity for, like I said, five years. So they've got to make their hay now. In many ways, I, I, I think this really draws a lot of similarities to the story that we heard come out earlier this week about the New York Liberty and the WNBA and all of that in terms of that ceiling that it, or a cap that certain ownership groups are putting on. And it just seems like some people are just not interested in conducting business rather than just maintaining it. And it, like, I, I just keep seeing this in, in, in baseball, and it seems like they're purposely getting in their own way. Or, as you mentioned, Adrian, maybe they're circumnavigating to – hopefully get ahead of the players. And I just, without those ta- uh, tax exemptions, without those antitrust laws that a lot of people throw on, I don't understand them. You obviously are a lot more uh, informed on that stuff. But how do we get this sorted out? Because that seems to be the biggest Jenga block to move, but certainly the toughest. Well, that's that's very insightful what you said. That's exactly right. It really is. I mean, it's business. These guys didn't, you know... It's not like these guys that are already billionaires get involved in businesses just to because, you know, there's always that. Well, you know, there's the ego gratification. I mean, that, that could, I think it's overstated. Sure, there's that. They do it to make money. And there's different ways of going about it. You can cut your margins and make money that way. And I think the thing that really largely is bothersome about that is with very, very, very rare exception – is there not public subsidy involved in all of this for the arenas and stadiums and ballparks? And that teams are not just some other business. They're really, you know, a community asset. It's hard to quantify a value on that, right? What is the value of a team in a market? We know it means something because every time a team talks about relocating, people stumble all over themselves to keep it. It matters to people. So when you see teams that go about not trying to win, just basically putting out substandard teams out there and are willing to basically sit back and earn money without really trying. Fans don't go to watch losing teams. They want to see their teams win. They understand, or most of them should be you know, reasonable, should understand that their team is not going to win every single year all the time. But there should be some hope. And the problem is, is that it's not the system any longer that is preventing that from happening. It's the owners themselves that are largely making that happen. There's other forces in play. It's not that entirely simple. But that's absolutely a component. And so I think that's the thing that's most bothersome, I think, in all of this when you look at what the owners are doing right now. The players, of course, want to play. They have great pride in what they do. And so it's that is the thing that factors in that I don't think anybody else takes into consideration either. They're highly competitive athletes. They, they, when you see that your boss isn't trying to win, what does that really say? It, it, of course it's got to be frustrating for them. Well, and if you think about it too, it just has to be such a departure of a mindset because I, this leads me perfectly to my next question uh, that I wanted to pose to you in terms of how much water do you think the inherited silver spoon theory holds in this? Because you mentioned the competitive mindset of the athletes themselves, but a lot of these ownership groups that started as a family business that was passed down to them and it has morphed into this complete gong show. And that's where it's, it's not just that we can't agree on the subjects in which we're debating. We can't even agree what time the debate is going to be or what we're going to be arguing about fully. It, It just seems like it's not just the Canyon. There's a whole other complete schism between just how we view the world in many ways, at least between the players and the ownership group. 
Yeah, I mean, we're seeing this now. Um, if you took the Illich family, right? So when Mike Illich, before he died, owned the Tigers, he went over the luxury tax threshold three times. And here's Chris Illich now reportedly saying we refuse to move the luxury tax thresholds past a certain amount. Um, we can see a difference in how George Steinbrenner spent compared to how um, his son Hal was spending. You can look at, you know, the Angelos family. It is there are, once again, you know, they're, they're legacy pieces that are handed down to family as an asset. Um, it didn't used to be like that. For one thing, everything has changed with media rights and all these different streams that now make, you know, supposedly should be used to, for competitive balance. You go, oh, wow, man, everybody's boat raises the same. It's called centralized money, national TV money, streaming deals, you know, gaming rights, all those things that come together that infuse everybody equally. Well, that should allow teams to be competitive. But what happened before when you were really dependent upon the gate, right, attendance was what mattered. Man, if you won, that it, they used to say winning cures all ills, and that's not the case anymore. It really isn't. They go, ah, I'm going to make money either way, whether I win or lose, and that is a horrible mindset to be in in sports. You should be trying to win. You can't win again. You can't win every year, and you're going to have different flexibility depending upon whether you live in Pittsburgh or whether you live in Los Angeles, but either way, there are windows. And that is, I think, the thing that's the most galling to the players, and it should be galling to the fans. Senior contributor from Forbes, Maury Brown, joining us. Uh, Maury, I'm going to be honest with you. You're making me very, very sad with this whole situation and the state. No, <laughs> the situation itself is sad. Not Maury. Not with that last no, name. Not, no, not, not him, but this whole situation, especially like I'm mm -hmm. a Cleveland fan in the mid-market. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about is I think it was Wilson Contreras, the catcher from the Cubs, uh, tweeted out all caps, very upset that basically making sure that the season doesn't start on time is what the owners wanted. Um, I could understand that from a weather aspect. Like I said, I remember more opening days with snow on the field in Cleveland than no snow on the field. Um, but how much validity, how much truth do you think uh, his viewpoint is with the owners wanting this season to be delayed? Well, I think the important thing to know is that there are um, factions within all of this. There are factions on the player side. There are factions in the ownership ranks. And those sides rest control depending upon where the landscape is as, at a given time. Um, the large revenue-making clubs have had control in the discussions before and have dominated the conversation. This time around, it seems more like small and mid-market clubs are the ones that are doing it. That's not everybody. I, I don't think everybody wanted to see a month loss. I think that the problem is the doggone way that this has to be approved. You have to have 75% of the owners approve of any deal that goes across the table to the union. And when we get to this thing, to get it finalized and get it over the hump, that has to happen. So basically seven or eight owners can basically derail everything. Everybody else gets painted in a particular light. But that may not necessarily be the case. And look, I'm not in the room. I just know this. Rob Manfred has lost the center right now. So if that's the case, then there is a faction that's basically driving the bus. And so I think that there are absolutely some clubs that are willing to lose a month. You know, that's when it's going to really apply pressure to the players. And there's some other ones that are going to be none too pleased. Hey, man, if you're the Atlanta Braves right now, 
<laughs> you just won a World Series and you got all this momentum. Ugh. And now you're not going to have that momentum. It's bad. And it does get into other things. I mean, you start to sully the well with your network average, network partners, your gaming partners, everything. I mean, when you start to lose television game money, right, or when you have to rebate that money back, I don't think a lot of people understand this, that whether games are played or not, the owners get that money. It's locked in. There are provisions within it that say within a certain amount after that, you have to start paying that money back. And there are some clubs that are absolutely not going to want to do it, even if it's like a 0% loan and they can pay it back over time. They don't want to pay that money back. They are already are dealing with 2020. So, you know, look, they're going to be, there's going to be internal pressure on the owners to try and make some movement. The same thing will be said probably within the players. It's going to be how long can they hold the center? And like I said, I think it's largely seen now that Rob Manfred has lost control of the room. And speaking of which, one thing I wanted to ask you is, and going back to Tuesday, and this is big picture and not necessarily going to change the dynamics of this and, and making sure we play baseball faster. But on Tuesday, press conference, from my perspective, he seemed kind of nervous. Uh, the optics of seeing him laugh and try to make jokes with the reporters. And then, of course, the picture that will, to me, define no matter what he does, it'll define him as commissioner uh, doing the fake golf swing. Uh, from a big picture viewpoint, from not only fans that are engaged and trying to keep up with this and other fans that are casual that are like, oh, snap, something's about to happen. Let me tune into this to see what's going on. How disastrous of a Tuesday was it for Rob Manfred? Well, I mean, I thought the same thing, that it was more like nerves. I mean, he look, he's the face of this. You don't see any of the other owners out there, right? He works for the owners. He gets paid handsomely to go out and be the face of the league and take the heat. He wanted that job, and, I, you know, so here's where things are at. Um, where it was presented and how it was presented um, was for public consumption and not necessarily, I think, the reality of where things are at, as we've kind of seen. Again, there's a group right now that couldn't get things to move. And, if, again, if you, people are like in the middle of these things when there were these meetings going on. When they got together on Tuesday, everybody's like, why are they waiting to get together? Because they were all on Zoom calls polling the player reps and other members of the ownership group to try and figure out where whether they could get certain things to pass the muster required to get those things to be accepted. And so Manfred's in a, in a no-win situation this way. And he's, uh, look, the golf thing, my God, that's on him. That is, they look like, you know, all I could think of was watching Rome burn and, you know, Nero. It it was such bad optics. It's a great reference, Mari. I love yeah, that. Yeah, it, 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 it just did. It looks so bad. But, uh, again, um, you know, I, I mean, Rob hasn't helped himself in the PR department. Um, at the end of the day, it's the owners that drive this thing. And Rob has to be able to cajole and get some consensus. He's not doing that right now, and that is the largest problem, is he cannot seem to get the size to drive forward to get a deal. It's pretty obvious where the players are at. And again, I get back to what what I said at the outset. If the players that accepted the deal that was on the table, the last best offer was not the best offer, it would have been bad for the players they were absolutely never going to accept it because, again, it, it, it would have set the tone for another five years that the owners got a leg up on the players, and they weren't going to let that happen.
just the absolute worst of times when it comes to baseball. What does positive momentum look like today? It's gone. I mean, look, the core fans will always be there. You know, I'm a junkie. I'm sorry. I'm never going to walk away from baseball. I I love being able to watch baseball every single day. Um, But if if you look at it as an industry, and it is an industry, right, a $10.7 billion industry in 2019 after 17 consecutive years of record revenues, you have to say that this is not how you keep that momentum up. It's not the core fans that you're concerned about. I mean, sure, you are you don't want to lose the core fans and tick them off. You're trying to bring in new fans, younger fans, and this is not how you go about it. It's just not the momentum builder that is needed. So there needs to be some significant change. I mean, look, if they're going to get into on-the-field changes and make some changes around that and get some movement, if it makes sense, I, I'm fully in favor of a pitch clock. It really does help things a lot. The other stuff, I don't know. But at least, you know, trying to get games to move along, try and get passes and grow the game. You know, it it just, again, they were not in a great position when they went into this thing, and they're certainly not going to come out of it any better. Our preeminent big league chew expert, Mari Brown, senior contributor for Forbes and member of the BBWAA. Thank you so much for just coming up out of your bunker for a few short minutes to give us uh, uh, the lay of the land here. We'll lean on you in the next couple weeks, hopefully as some progress is made in the ongoing negotiations between Major League Baseball and its players. Hey, it's my pleasure. I really love talking to you too. You have a great day. We plan on it, Mari. You as well. That was Mari Brown again from Forbes, senior contributor. He writes unbelievable stuff. Uh, There's great articles to keep you up to date on all of the great things, not so great things going on in the game of baseball. But insider calls are brought to us by driveway.com. Head to driveway.com today to shop more than 25,000 new and used cars in driveways nationwide inventory. And on the other side of the break, oh, look, a prediction that we got right. Amari Cooper, walking papers. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.